You are listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Today, we are continuing this series, Don't Just Like It, Share it, and um, if you've if you've been in church for a while, or maybe you grew up in church, perhaps you've heard of the word evangelism. Has anybody ever heard of evangelism before? All right, cool, quite a few of you. Yeah, perhaps you've heard the word of evangelism, and um, evangelism is really something we only talk about in church. Uh, but evangelism is something that happened long before the church ever existed. Uh, the word evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion. And euangelion means to spread news, so to spread news. And so long before uh, there was ever Twitter or text or typewriters or TVs, thousands of years ago, there were these people called evangelists who would be hired to euangelion, to evangelize, to spread news. These were the, the town criers, the Paul Revere's, the newscasters of the day. And this wasn't a religious thing. It was just, it was these people's job to spread news. And if the news that they were spreading was good news, then that was called a gospel. And so there were all sorts of gospels that were being spread, all sorts of good news that was being spread thousands of years ago by evangelists. And so an example might be, uh, if the emperor had a son, then he would hire evangelists to go out and euangelion, to evangelize the gospel of the birth of his son. They would go out and spread the good news of the birth of the emperor's son. Well, when the church came into being, uh, they said, hey, we have some good news as well, and our good news centers around the birth of someone as well, but it's not the birth of an emperor. Instead, the gospel we have, the good news we have, centers around the birth of the son of God himself, this man Jesus. And see, Jesus was God himself, and, and he was born to ultimately die. He, he was born to be a sacrifice for us, that when Jesus died on the cross, our sin died with him. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. And if we place our trust in him, if we follow him, if we accept the sacrifice that he's given to us, then we can have forgiveness as well, and we can have life, we can have relationship with God. And so when you have some good news like that, when you have a gospel like that. Well, that deserves to be spread around. And so what the church did was the church started to euangelion, to evangelize, to spread this good news all around. But, but for some reason today, uh, evangelism, evangelizing, spreading good news has really changed in our thinking and how we see it. Uh, what I mean is often when you think about evangelism, you probably have an image of some guy standing on a street corner yelling at people, telling them to turn or burn, right? And so when you hear evangelism, there's this bad taste in your mouth because of that. Or maybe when you think of evangelism, you think of Jehovah's Witnesses going door to door, evangelizing their message, trying to convert you to a certain way of thinking. Evangelism was never about converting somebody. It was simply spreading good news. Maybe when you think about evangelism, uh, you think about going up to a stranger and giving them a tract, or uh, starting a conversation with somebody you don't even know with this phrase, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Isn't that a great line to start off a conversation with a stranger? No, that's horrible. And, and for some reason, in those scenarios, everybody always dies at night, right? It's like if you were to die tonight, it's never, like nobody's dying during the day, but it's at night. And so I, I guess it's because the freaks come out at night. But, but if you, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> that's a little old school hip hop for you. I'm down, I'm down. Um, 
but everybody always dies at night. And so this is often evangelism that we think of. Or when we think of evangelism, we think of, of launching into some scripted conversation with someone where we have to walk them down the Roman road or explain to them the chasm of life, how, how we're all stuck on this side of a chasm and God is on the other side and then the cross bridges the gap. And, and so we launch into this scripted conversation. And those are, those are fine conversations and so that's okay, but that's not evangelism. None of that is evangelism. Evangelism is simply spreading some good news because when you get good news, you want to spread it. Really, uh, another way to think about it is evangelism is simply talking about what you love. That's what it is. It's talking about what you love. Today, as we continue this series, don't just like it, share it. Uh, I want to equip you and encourage you to be an evangelist because if you're a Christian today, if you've accepted Jesus, if you believe that he died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead, then you got some good news to share. And so what I want to do today is I want to equip you and encourage you to share that good news, not in an obnoxious way where people run when they see you coming, but in a way where people just want to hear what you have to say. Uh, I guess another way to say it is I want to encourage you, equip you, and empower you to be a bringer. Really, this is something that, that we ask everyone to engage in who calls this church home, to be a bringer, uh, to bring some people to come and experience what they're experiencing. And right now, in this season, it's one of the best times to be a bringer because studies tell us that people who don't go to church uh, are, eight out of ten, are, are eight times more likely to come to church if somebody just brought them during this time of the year. The, the reason is because Easter is coming up in two weeks. And for some reason in our society, if you don't go to church, you go to church on Easter. And so some people right now are thinking, oh man, I got to meet my quota to go to church on Easter. I don't know where to go, but you can come in their life and say, hey, you should come to the church that I'm a part of. And our hope then is that they would come and see what happens here, that they would experience God in a way like never before. And they would say, I got to come back. I'm not just going to come on Easter and Christmas, but I'm going to come back. And so studies tell us that 8 out of 10 people, if you were to just ask them about coming, if you were to just tell them about what God is doing in your life, 8 out of 10 people would say yes. And so for the next, throughout this series, what I've been trying to do is equip you to be a bringer. And so today, as I teach you how to be an evangelist, uh, we need to take a look at an incident that took place early on before Jesus' ministry ever started. It's found in John chapter 1 verse 35. And so if you have a Bible, would you open up to John chapter 1, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have the words for you on the screen. Uh, but it's John chapter 1, verse 35. Uh, here's what it says. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Why are you following me? Stop being a creeper. No, I don't know if Jesus said that. But he said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. Come and see. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, the first thing, the first thing, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, which is the Christ. This means the sent one of God, the Savior. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Notice that he brought him to Jesus. He didn't invite him to Jesus. He 
brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, this takes place uh, early on before Jesus' ministry ever begins, and it starts off with John the Baptist. Now, John wasn't a Baptist like we think of Baptist. He wasn't part of a denomination or anything like that. You didn't have John the Baptist and Jane the Methodist and, or, or anything like that. But he's called the Baptist because he baptizes people. So another name for John would be John the Baptizer or John the Immerser. And John sees Jesus at a distance maybe. Maybe he's close by. We're not sure. But he sees Jesus. And John knows Jesus very well because John and Jesus are actually cousins. And he points to Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I, I, I understand. If you have doubts about that, I get that. I've had doubts before. There are still times uh, where the, I just have questions about things. But what's great evidence to me is that John's cousin, or Jesus' cousin, John, points to him and says, look, the Lamb of God. Basically, he's saying about his cousin, this is the Son of God. What would it take for you to convince your cousins that you were from God, right? The very fact that Jesus' cousin, his family, is convinced he's from God is some really great evidence. But he looks and he points and he says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, when we hear that phrase, the Lamb of God, uh, for some of us, it doesn't really register. We're not quite sure what this means. Uh, but when John is speaking to the Jewish audience then, they would have understood exactly what he was talking about. Because in the Jewish religion, in the Jewish tradition, what they would do is once a year, the priest of the temple would bring a lamb uh, into the sanctuary. And then he would lay his hands on the lamb uh, in an act of transferring the sin of the people onto the lamb. It was a symbolic act. It's some mystical way that the sins of the people were transferred onto the lamb. So he would transfer the sins of the people onto the lamb, and then he would sacrifice the lamb. Uh, the idea was that the lamb was paying for the sin of the people. It was the lamb's life for the people's life. And when this happened, the sin of the people would get pushed back another year. Their guilt would be taken away. And they would do this every single year. And so when John points to Jesus and he says, look, it's the lamb of God, what he's saying is Jesus is going to be our sacrifice. Jesus is going to be the one who is taking away our sin. Our sin is going to be transferred onto him. And when he dies, our sin will die with him. And so this is what John is saying when he says, look, it's the Lamb of God. And two of John's disciples hear this and they start following Jesus. And I think what's really interesting in this whole thing is that John simply points people to Jesus. That's all he does. He says, look, it's the Lamb of God. He points people to Jesus and then people start following Jesus. You know, I think sometimes um, as Christians, if, if you're a Christian this morning, it, it's difficult for us to share our faith with other people. Because sometimes we get intimidated, we get, we get anxious, we're not quite sure what to expect. Uh, we think maybe they'll ask some questions that we don't know how to answer. There's, there's all sorts of uh, hesitations that come when we share our faith with Jesus. Maybe they'll ask me questions I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're not living uh, the way that you feel like you should be living, and so they're going to think you're a hypocrite or whatever. And so you're like, I, I just don't know if I can share my faith with people. But, but what if... What if you and I, instead of trying to answer everyone's questions, trying to be perfect, trying to, to be the solution in people's life, what if you and I just took the approach John took and we simply pointed people to Jesus? Where as we talk with people, uh, we just point them to Jesus. Where we say, listen, I can't be the solution to your problem, but I want to introduce you to the person who is the solution. 
Listen, I can't, I can't fix all your brokenness, but I know somebody who can make you whole. What if we just simply pointed people to Jesus? This is what John does. He just points people to Jesus. This is, this is how it looks in our life, I think. It's when we point to what God is doing in our life to the people around us. And so, so you're, you're having lunch with a coworker, and he's talking about how he's struggling to make ends meet. He doesn't really know how to handle finances very well. Then this conversation where we point people to Jesus just, just looks like where we say, you know, I understand where you've been. I, I understand what you're facing because I've experienced that myself. But then I started going to this church and, and they started talking about budgeting. They started talking about getting out of debt. I, I was part of this group, Financial Peace University, and I learned how to manage my money in God's way. I, I began to trust God with my finances. I started to tithe, and I've discovered that I can have peace in my finances. And it's all because I started doing the things God says to do with money. And so what you're doing is just simply pointing people to what God is doing in your life. And so this is what I'm discovering here. You should come and see. Why don't you come and I want to introduce you to the one who's transformed my life. It's when you're talking with your cousin and she's saying how she has all these marriage problems and she keeps fighting with her husband. And you can say, you know, I I feel where you are because I've been there before. And and at times I'm, I'm still there. But my husband and I, we started going to this church and, and we discovered that God has a lot to say about relationships and about marriage. And we discovered the one who teaches us how to love one another beyond ourselves. We discovered the one who teaches us how to serve each other. We discovered the one who, who teaches us how to die to one another and live for, to, to die to ourselves and live for each other. And so why don't you come and see? I want to introduce you to the one who's transformed my life. What, what if you and I simply adopted the approach where instead of trying to convince somebody or trying to convert somebody, we just said, hey, I know somebody who can transform your life. I know somebody who's transformed my life. I just want to introduce you to him. That's what John does. He simply points people to Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, okay, hold on, wait. Uh, like, I don't really like Christians because Christians are always trying to shove their view down my throat. They're always trying to push their thoughts on me. Uh, and that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about cramming anything down anybody's throat. I think that's illegal. So, so, so we're not talking about that. We're not talking about being pushy. We're not talking about being, being obnoxious. And if you've said those things, listen, I understand, because there are some people who are quite pushy, right? There are some people who are really obnoxious, and that's not what we're talking about today. Um, but I do want to let you know that that's not a Christian thing. Being pushy and obnoxious is not just a Christian thing. It's a people thing. Uh, I'll give you an example. Have you ever heard of Fight Club? How? Nobody's supposed to ever talk about it. Yeah. So look, if you've ever heard of Fight Club, then you know that there's a rule in Fight Club, and the rule in Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Well, if CrossFit has a rule, I think that rule is you don't ever shut up about CrossFit. Because... Because look, you know if somebody's a part, a part of CrossFit because you see all the, all the pictures on their news feed. You see their workout of the day and you're like, just shut up about CrossFit. They won't stop talking about it. Look, it's not a Christian thing. It's a people thing. All sorts of people are pushing. You know if somebody's a parent. You know they're a parent because you see pictures of little Johnny all up in your newsfeed. You know more about little Johnny's life than you know about your own life. Why? Because parents won't stop talking about their kids. My wife and I, we, don't, we do that with our daughter. We won't stop talking about our daughter. We love her. Why? Because whatever you're passionate about, that's what you talk about. Whatever you're passionate about, 
That's what you talk about. And so listen, if you're a Christian, we can't shut up about our faith because we're passionate about it. At least we should be. Because God is doing something in our life. He's transformed us. He's forgiven us. He's given us a brand new identity. And because we're passionate about that, because we know God and not just know about him, because we know him, we can't help but talk about him because you talk about what you're passionate about. And here's what I think is interesting. Nobody who talks about CrossFit Nobody who talks about their, their kids ever thinks, you know, maybe I shouldn't talk about this because I don't want to offend somebody. Nobody ever says, I don't want to talk about how many pull-ups I did yesterday because I don't want to offend them because maybe they can't do as many. No, no, no. They're like, yo, I did a million pull-ups. <laughs> you're like, you're a dirty liar. <laughs> but nobody ever thinks, well, I don't want to say anything because I might offend them. But we do it with our faith all the time. I don't want to offend somebody. Why would you offend somebody? You're just talking about what God is doing in your life. You're just talking about something you love. You're just talking about how God has transformed you. Why would that offend somebody? You're not pushing it on them. You're not cramming it down their throat. You're not trying to convert them. You're just talking about what God is doing in your life. Nobody ever says, you know what? I don't want to talk about CrossFit. I don't want to talk about my kids because somebody might ask me a question that I can't answer about my kids. Somebody might ask me a question about CrossFit that I don't know. No, but we do this with our faith all the time. Listen. You're not called to answer everybody's complicated questions. You're called to simply share what God is doing in your life. Like nobody ever stops and thinks, I wonder if people even want to hear about CrossFit or my kids. No, they talk about it anyway. Why? Because we talk about what we're passionate about in the same way. If you're passionate about God, if he's transformed your life, if he's done something in you, then you shouldn't shut up about it. Not in an obnoxious way but in a way that's inviting, that's bringing people to Jesus. All we got to do, y'all, is point people to the one who is the solution. And so that's what John does. John simply points people to Jesus. And then the disciples, uh, the followers of John start following Jesus, uh, and then they're following him. Jesus is like, why are you following me? And they say, where are you staying? And Jesus says this, come and see. Come and see. And then it says that they went and Saul. Notice that Jesus didn't say, uh, well, see, I'm staying at this place, and let me explain to you what it's like, or, hey, I, I really am the Savior, uh, based on the Old Testament prophecies, or, hey, before we go there, do you have any questions maybe I can answer about dinosaurs, or Noah and the ark, or anything like that? No, no. Like, Jesus, Jesus doesn't go through any of that stuff. He just simply says, come and see. And so as you share your faith with people, as you talk about what God is doing in your life, you're going to have people who say, oh, you're one of those people. Oh, you're a Christian, huh? You go to church. And sometimes, sometimes they put you in a category and write you off, but, but sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, what about Jonah and the whale? You really think somebody lived in a fish for three days? And, and, and then because maybe you can't explain it, because maybe it, it sounds weird, they say, see? And they'll dismiss everything. But I think our approach instead should be that we point people to Jesus, and then the second one is this. We simply say, come and see. Come and see. Listen, yeah, 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 I get you with the whole Jonah thing and all that, but look, just come and see. I, I, I can't answer your questions about, about, was it six literal days of creation or not or any of that stuff, but just come and see. Yeah, I, I heard about that one pastor who was, who was doing that one thing, and he slept with his assistant, and then he stole money from the church, and I get that, and that's horrible, but just come and see. And yeah, look, I know in the past Christians have done some horrible things, and I can't explain all those things, but look, just come and see, just come and see, just Come and see. See, you're not called to explain everything to somebody. You're called to simply say, come and see. 
just come and see. Because don't you know that sometimes you can't explain something? Somebody just has to experience it. You can't explain Mozart or Bach to somebody. They just have to hear it for themselves. You can't explain that. You can't explain a perfectly cooked mid-rare filet mignon. You just got to taste it for yourself. I can't explain it to you. You just got to taste it. I can't explain to you how God has transformed my life, how I have this, this influx of hope in me, how I'm experiencing joy, how I show up every day to this dead-end job, and I still give it my all because my Savior has forgiven me, and I work for Him, not for my boss. I can't explain all that to you. Look, you just got to experience it. You got to come and see. You got to come and see. Come and see. This Easter and every Sunday, you have an amazing opportunity to bring people to come and see what you're experiencing. Because when you bring somebody to Jesus so that they can come and see what you're experiencing, you offer them the opportunity to transform their eternity. You can't explain that to somebody. They just got to experience it for themselves. And so Jesus says, come and see. And so it says that they went and saw. And then it says that Andrew <clears throat> was one of the people who went and saw. And then it says the first thing he did, the first thing he did was went to his brother Simon. Notice that he didn't come to Jesus, discover Jesus, and say, I'm going to hang out with Jesus for a while and get to know him some more, be able to answer people's questions or anything like that. No, it says the first thing he did was he went to his brother Simon. You know, sometimes <clears throat> what happens is uh, somebody will come to Jesus, they'll experience Jesus, they'll say yes to his sacrifice, they'll get baptized into him, and then they think, you know, I need to wait before I bring people just because I might not be able to answer all their questions, I, I, I need to grow a little more before I do that, but that's the worst thing you can do. Studies have shown us that when somebody becomes a Christian, the moment they become a Christian, that's the best time to bring people to come and see Jesus. Here's why. Because often what happens is as you continue in your path towards God, uh, you start to cut things out of your life because you say, you know, this isn't healthy anymore. Uh, I'm not going to go drinking all the time now. And so your drinking buddies aren't your buddies anymore because you won't go drink with them because you, you, you realize that, oh man, this is getting out of hand. Uh, the people you were seeing beforehand at parties and things like that, you say, you know, I, I don't know that that's the best lifestyle for me as I continue to follow Jesus, and so they don't want to hang out with you. And what happens is all the people in your life who don't know Jesus start to move out of your life, and then you start to surround yourself with just Christians. You can't invite just Christians to come and see Jesus because they've already seen Jesus. They've already met him. The first thing Andrew did as soon as he met Jesus was he went to Peter and said, here, you got to come and see. The best thing you can do as you're experiencing Jesus is to go to the people in your life who you know need to be brought in front of Jesus and be fired up, be passionate and say, hey, this is what God is doing in my life. I want you to come and see. Point people to Jesus and tell them, come and see. And so what happened was Andrew went and found his brother Simon. The first thing he did was he found Simon. And then it says, that he brought Peter to Jesus. Later, Simon's name is changed to Peter. But I love the distinction here that it doesn't say that he invited Simon to Jesus, but he brought Simon to Jesus. Because don't you know that there's a difference between inviting somebody and bringing somebody? 
There really is. There's a difference between inviting somebody and bringing somebody. I'll tell you uh, some of the differences between inviting someone and bringing somebody. When you invite somebody, you push the weight of responsibility on the invitee. It's on them to actually show up. But when you bring somebody, you carry the weight of getting that person who's far from God to come so that they can have the opportunity to be raised to true life. There's a difference between inviting somebody and bringing somebody. Bringers go and get people. They say, hey, look, I'll give you a ride. I'm picking you up. I'll call you to remind you that morning. Inviters simply read text message excuses from the person they invited who didn't show up. You know, oftentimes I'll talk to somebody about coming, especially for Easter as as we're approaching, and um, I've I've talked to all sorts of people about coming, and here's a common response that I've gotten, and I want to equip you with some answers as you you start to talk to people about coming to Easter. I say, hey, you should come with me to Easter, and I'll give them the uh, card that we have on your chairs. Uh, We've given you five. We want you to verbally invite five people this week to come with you on Easter, but I'll give them the card, and they'll say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll try. Don't y'all know that when somebody says they'll try, that means no? It, it really does. It's like when you send out a Facebook invitation and somebody clicks maybe. You know they're not going to be there. It's either yes or no, and so I'll be talking with somebody, and they'll say, oh, well, I'll try, and so what I say to follow up is, what can I do to help you make that try into a definite, and then they're like, oh, well, uh, uh, well, uh, well, well, just look, it's okay if you don't want to come, just say no, but don't, don't say try, or maybe, or I should be, but, but how can I change that try into a definite? And, and I'm so upfront about this because I really believe in getting people in front of Jesus, and I want them to experience what God has done in my life so that their eternity can be transformed. And so I'm not just going to go about it haphazardly. Another thing that I'll get when I ask people, uh, when I talk to people about coming is they'll say, oh, well, I'll, I'll come if I don't have work. All right. It's two weeks before Easter. You got plenty of time to request off. What can I do to help you request off? You need me to call your boss? No. Like, like whatever I can do to get you there, it's vital because I just want you to come and see. I just want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I want your life and your eternity to be transformed forever. And so I can't, I can't be satisfied with a try. I can't be satisfied with a, I might have to work. No, no, no. This is so important. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you in front of Jesus because I care about you. See, bringers go and get people. Inviters read text messages of excuses from the person they invited who didn't show up. Bringers say, I'm going to come and get you. Inviters say, oh, come whenever you can, if ever you can. Uh, Bringers introduce their non-church friends to their church friends. Inviters keep the friend circles separate. Bringers come early with their friend. They sit close, they take notes, and they have an expectant attitude throughout the whole worship experience. Inviters wait for their late-arriving friends, sit in the back, and leave early to go to lunch. Bringers are cheerleaders for Jesus and the church. Inviters are just cheerful people. Bringers actively do whatever it takes to get their friend in front of Jesus. Inviters passively toss out empty requests to come to church. There's a difference between an inviter and a bringer, and that's why we always encourage you to be a bringer. We want you to be a bringer. And notice that Andrew didn't invite Peter to come to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Because Andrew had it in his mind where he said, I care so much about my brother that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him in front of Jesus. And I don't know if you know Peter's story, uh, but I want to share some of the highlights in his life. See, when Peter was brought to Jesus. 
He had not only his identity changed, but his life changed forever. Not only did Jesus give him a new name, but he gave him a brand new life. This is what happens when people get in front of Jesus. He changes our identity, and he changes our life. And so one time in, in, in Peter's life, he's there with Jesus, and uh, all the other disciples are around Jesus, and Jesus asks this question. He says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, people say you're this and that. Some people say you're a prophet from back in the day or whatever. And then he asks them this, well, who do you say that I am? And here's what Peter says. Peter, the one who was brought by Andrew, the first thing he said was he said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the sent one of God. You're the one to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, exactly. Based on that statement you just said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on the truth that I'm the son of God. I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to lead the way in this forward momentum. Not even the gates of hell can withstand that. Based on the statement that Peter made, Jesus said, I'm going to build this church. And it's based on that statement that we're here today 2,000 years later because of one statement Peter made. Later on um, in Jesus' ministry, there's a time where uh, Peter is in a boat with all of the followers of Jesus, and uh, there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The boat's about to wreck. The people are afraid for their life, and then they see Jesus just like walking on water towards them, and uh, Peter doesn't know it's Jesus, so he cries out. He's like, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, and Peter says, well, if it's you, then tell me to come out on the water with you, and Jesus says, well, come on, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts to walk on water towards Jesus. Listen, I've done a lot of things in my life, but I don't have walking on water in my resume. But Peter got to walk on water. Peter got the privilege after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day. He got the privilege on the day of Pentecost to stand up in front of thousands of people and preach a message about the sacrifice of Jesus. And that day, 3,000 people responded to that message. Peter got the privilege to witness 3,000 people get baptized that day. Peter was there at the beginning of the church, and it all started because Andrew didn't invite Peter, but Andrew brought Peter in front of Jesus. Chances are, if you've been in church for a while, uh, maybe you've never even heard of Andrew, or you don't know much about Andrew, but even if you've never been in church, you've probably heard about Peter. There's a saying that says that uh, you can count the apples on a tree, but no one can count the apples within a seed. Because within a seed is the potential to plant orchards of apple trees that will grow millions of apples. It all starts with one small seed. It all started with Andrew bringing Peter. And maybe you've never heard about Andrew. I wonder if you've ever heard about Edward Kimball. If you've never heard of Edward Kimball, that's okay. You're not the only one. Uh, But I want to share with you the story of Edward Kimball. Kimball was an unassuming Sunday school teacher who led a small group for teenage boys back in the early 1800s, and it was Kimball's desire to see each of these teens in his group enter into a personal relationship with God. There was one 17-year-old boy in his group who was brought to church against his will by his uncle. Uh, The kid didn't want to be there. He didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about, and so after being in Kimball's group for some time... Kimball went to the shoe store where this teenager was stocking shelves, and right there in the stock room, he talked with him about the importance of having a relationship with Jesus. Kimball recalled the day. He said, with tears in my eyes, I approached the 17-year-old shoe clerk. I asked him to come to Christ who loved him and who wanted his love. 
that young man Kimball talked with was Dwight L. Moody. Some of you may have heard of D.L. Moody, and it was in that stock room on that Saturday that D.L. Moody said yes to Jesus. In his lifetime, Moody impacted an untold thousands of people across two continents with the gospel of Jesus. And it started with a guy you never heard of, Edward Kemble. But the story doesn't end there. It gets better, actually. Because of D.L. Moody's ministry, another man's heart was transformed by God, and his name was Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist who spread good news, the gospel. He preached to thousands. Uh, One day, a professional baseball player had a day off, and he went to one of Chapman's worship experiences, and this man was named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, as a result of being at that worship experience, gave his life to Jesus and quit baseball to become part of Chapman's team. After this, Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusade, traveling around the world, preaching to thousands. And through Billy Sunday's ministry, another man named Mordecai Ham came to develop a faith in Jesus. Ham went on to start a traveling ministry as well. And when Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a sandy-haired, lanky young man who was in high school, and he vowed that he would never go to one of Mordecai Ham's meetings. His name was Billy Frank. Eventually, though, he did go to hear Ham preach. He went one night because some boys from his high school were talking about going to interrupt the sermon, and he wanted to see what was going to happen. Well, that night, Billy Frank went, and he was intrigued by what he heard. He came back the next night, and on this night, he responded to the invitation that was given, and Billy Frank decided to accept Jesus. Billy Frank eventually came to be known as Billy Graham. Billy Graham is one of the most famous evangelists of our time. And he said to have preached to more people than any other person who had ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. Back in 2008, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience, including radio and television broadcasts, topped 2.2 billion people. This means that about 2.2 billion people heard the gospel from the mouth of Billy Graham. But it doesn't stop there. It gets better. Back in 1953, when Billy Graham was just beginning to hold crusades, he made a visit to a town in New Mexico, and he allowed the editor of the high school paper to interview him for a story. The high school editor that interviewed Graham was a guy named Sam Stone. That visit by Graham had a real spiritual impact on Sam Stone, who grew up to be a faithful Christian, and he raised a Christian family. His son, Dave Stone, became a pastor at a growing church in 1991 in Louisville, Kentucky called Southeast Christian Church. In 1998, Dave Stone called a high school senior who couldn't decide between going to Bible college to become a pastor or a liberal arts university to get a degree in something else. And Dave told that kid, I'm going to that Bible college that weekend, why don't you come with me and check it out? And on the car ride home, Dave convinced that kid to go to Bible college where he grew his passion for God, he trained for ministry, and where he ended up working in the church that I first started working at. His name was Carl Cool. Carl became a great friend to me, and eventually he went on to start a, a brand new church in Baltimore, Maryland, called Mosaic Christian Church. When I felt God leading me to launch this church, I talked with Carl about it, and Carl was one of the main people who encouraged me to start this church. And so we started The Rising, 
and Mosaic believed so much in our mission and our vision that they gave us money so that we could buy a hot tub that we sit over here to baptize people. And if it wasn't for them, then we wouldn't have a hot tub to baptize people. Since, since we've launched as a church in the past seven months, we've seen 25 people give their lives to Jesus and get baptized. But it doesn't stop there. It gets even better. I want to introduce you to some people. I want to introduce you to Colby and Morgan. Would you guys give it up to Colby and Morgan as they make their way up? So Colby and Morgan have been dating for three years. Uh, Colby described his life as a train wreck, really. He was in this downward spiral. He said he would get wasted all the time, and his girlfriend Morgan gave him an ultimatum. She said, something has to change. You either have to get your life straight, or I'm leaving you. Well, Colby didn't want her to leave, and so he said, okay, I'm going to get my life straight, and they started coming to church. They started uh, coming to the Rising when we first launched back in the fall, and Colby started to hear stories of people's lives changing, and he said, I want in on that. I want to accept Jesus as well. Colby decided to accept Jesus and to get baptized. On the day that Colby got baptized, he invited 18 people to come witness and celebrate with him. 18 people, y'all. Look, I'm asking you to bring one person on Easter. Colby brought 18 people to come and witness it. Come on. That's the record. That's the record. Who's going to beat it? No, but look. Out of those 18 people, five of them who were there that day, because they were brought by Colby, five of those people witnessed what he did, and they said, I want that in my life. And those five people decided to get baptized. It was Lee. It was Nicole. It was Chelsea. It was Kyle. It was Samantha. Because Colby brought some people in front of Jesus, five more people decided to accept Jesus and get baptized in the hot tub that we were given by a church up in Maryland. Because he brought some people, their lives are changed forever. All because he brought some people. Hey, I'll give it up for Colby and Morgan. But think about this, think about this, think about this. It all started with an unassuming Sunday school teacher 1,800 years ago. I mean, 200 years ago in the 1800s. It's a long, it's a long time ago. It all started with an unassuming Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Because if Kimball never reached out to D.L. Moody, his life never would have been transformed. If D.L. Moody never brought Wilbur Chapman in front of Jesus, his life never would have been transformed. If Chapman never brought Billy Sunday in front of Jesus, his life never would have been transformed. If Billy Sunday never came in front of Jesus, then he never would have brought Mordecai Ham, and his life never would have been transformed. If Mordecai Ham didn't bring Billy Graham in front of Jesus, then 2.2 billion people would have never heard the gospel. Then Sam Stone would have never been inspired like he was to raise a Christian family, to pour into his son Dave Stone who encouraged Carl Kuhl to start a church, who encouraged me to start this church, and none of that would have ever happened. Colby and Morgan never would have been here. Those five people never would have made the decision to accept Jesus 
if Edward Kimball didn't have the courage to be a bringer, to reach out and bring some people to Jesus. It all starts with one person. It all starts with one person. So I want to ask you who you're bringing on Easter because you have the potential to transform somebody's eternity. I mean, can't you see it? Can't you see it? One day when you're in heaven, right? And people you don't even know are coming up to you and saying thank you. Thank you so much. Listen, you don't even know me, but I just want to thank you because that one Easter in 2015, you reached out to your coworker and you brought them in front of Jesus and Jesus transformed their life so much so that they reached out to their sister and they brought their sister to Jesus and he transformed their life and then she she brought a friend in front of Jesus and that friend's life was transformed so much so that that friend they brought Thomas and I know Thomas because Thomas is the one who brought me to Jesus and I wouldn't be here today I wouldn't have had my life changed and my eternity transformed if you didn't first bring your coworker. Because you brought them, it was a chain reaction. It's the power of being a bringer. It's the power of being a bringer. And so today I want to ask you who you bring in on Easter. Who you bring in? Because when you bring somebody, you have the power to transform their eternity. You have the influence to bring them in front of Jesus, who can make them brand new, who can change them forever. And who knows the generations that you can impact if you'll just bring one person. In a moment, we're going to remember this good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, that he died for us and that he rose again from the dead by taking communion. And so we'll have some people from our VIP team come and they're going to pass some trays and the trays are stacks of cups. The top cup has a, some juice that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. The bottom cup has a piece of bread that represents his body that was broken for us. Not only did Jesus die for you and be a sacrifice for you, but he died for the people in your life. He died for the people you love. He died for the people that you know who need to get brought in front of him. They may never know that truth, that they're loved, that they're cared for, unless you bring them. So as we take communion, would you also think about the person that you're going to reach out to? Think about the people in your life that you're going to bring to Jesus. Because you bring them, we can change the world. We can impact the generation. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information on The Rising, visit wearetherising.com.